what we're listening to here uh, in uh, the here in Romans 15 as it describes what's going on we think in Acts 20 he's going to he's going to Jerusalem but he's going back to Greece he wants to raise money from the Gentiles we're all Gentiles I assume in this room non-Jews he wants to raise money from the non-Jewish Christians to take and aid the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem and notice what he said you owe this to them um, and you were thinking about your bills this month and you were thinking about what you owe to whom I hope maybe you realized you owe something to the Jewish community now what Paul makes very clear in Romans why do you think Paul why do you think Paul says you Gentiles we Gentiles we owe this we're doing it out of charity, but we owe this to the Jewish community. Why do you think he's? Why, he, why do you think he thinks we owe this? Because Jesus, the oracles of God, the Old Testament, everything we know about God, revelation, has been given to us through the Jews. And sometimes it's really easy for Gentile Christians um, to forget the debt that we owe to the Jewish people. That's why when you look at Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11, which usually get skipped over by Christian readers, he's talking about our debt to the Jewish people. Anyway, just um, thought I would mention that. So now go back to um, Acts chapter 20. Let's finish up with what Paul's doing here as he begins this journey to Jerusalem via and his roundabout way, via, via going to uh, Greece, he goes west in order to go east. But um, he, he's collecting this money. He's doing it, I, I mentioned this, but we celebrated Christmas in the meantime. He's, he's collecting this money, one, because we owe it to the Jews. Uh, everything that we've received spiritually, we owe to the Jews. Um, He's also doing it because we think he's doing it. He's trying to knit together uh, the, the Gentile Christians and the, and the Jewish Christians. Uh, he's trying to bring unity to those groups. And again, we know that because of Romans 9, 10, and 11. He's trying to bring us together. Um, you know, some of, sometimes we can't even get Gentile Christians to read the Old Testament, much less understand their debt to the Jewish community. Anyway, so now back to, back to um, Acts 20. So go back to verse 3. There he spent, Paul, three months. We just looked at what we think he did during those three months. And when a plot was made against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. So he's in Greece. He's collecting the money to take to Jerusalem. But he decides, because again, you see the word Syria there? You learned over Christmas. In those days, the decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole world should be enrolled. The first enrollment took place when Quirinius was governor of where? Syria. Uh, that whole province where Jerusalem is, is referred to as Syria by the Romans. So when he says he's going to Syria, he's going to Jerusalem. So he's, 
His first plan is he's going to get aboard a ship and go east. But then he learns there's a plot from the angry Jews um, to get him aboard the ship. And I think you have to read between the lines here. What do you think? Well, um, what do you think the Jews want to do once they get him aboard the ship? Yeah, they're going to toss him overboard. They've been trying to kill him in Thessalonica, in Philippi, in Berea, in Ephesus, and they've not managed to do it. So at least we got to give them some credit for being creative. So Paul figures this out, and he decides to go back through the land of Macedonia and not get on board that ship and sail straight for Jerusalem. <clears throat> See, you notice, um, as I say frequently, part of what we do when we do Bible study is to... Um, teach each other how to read, to make sure we see what's on the text here. There's a reason he doesn't get aboard that ship. He tells you what the reason is. So it goes back through Macedonia. Then here's a little chunk that's rather fascinating, but some of us could really learn an important lesson from this. Look at verse four. He's gonna make his travels now through, through Macedonia and eventually go through Turkey and eventually make it back to, to Syria, Jerusalem. Look at verse 4. Sopater, the Berean, I've mentioned Berea, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied now, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby, and Timothy, and the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus. These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. Um, Troas is en route um, to, to Macedonia. See all those names there? I hope you figured out by now, Paul almost never traveled alone. And when he did, like when he went to Athens, one of the first things you read, he wants his friends to come. You know, I, I, I get really concerned about Christians who don't seem to need many people in their lives. I, you know, I see some Christians are almost reclusive. They don't seem to need many people in their lives. Uh, being Christian is a community activity. Being Christian is personal, but it's never private. Being Christian means you've, you've received Christ, but you received all these other friends of Christ. That's a basic Christian concept. We call it, by the way, the communion of the saints in our creeds. The fellowship of the saints in our creeds. So if you have that tendency, and a lot of us do, if you have that tendency to be a lone ranger, um, you need to work against that tendency. That's, the, the Bible couldn't be clearer. In the Old Testament, God dealt with the people of Israel and some individuals in the people of Israel. In the New Testament, God deals with the church and some individuals within the church. But the Christian faith is not just a private spirituality. Now, Americans like to do that because we're very private. Another way of saying that in the extreme is we're very narcissistic. You know, me and Jesus got our own thing going. We don't need any of you other people. You irritate us. But in the Christian faith, this is a community affair. So um, there is no Christianity presented in the Bible 
there is no Christianity presented in the Bible, or I would even continue in Christian history. There's no Christianity presented where you can take Christ, but not the church, not the people of Christ. I mean, I understand. There's days I would, you know, I, th I probably have said to Jesus, Jesus, I love you, but your people are getting on my nerves. <laughs> can it just be me and you? This private spirituality. Um, <clears throat> because of what God wants to do in us to sanctify us, to make us like Christ, he puts us in the middle of people. And sometimes we resist that. It's not healthy. That is not healthy. So look, here Paul, you've known it throughout everything Paul wrote. But here he's very specific. I'm glad when I travel, I don't have to take these many people with me. Uh, but you get the names there. Um, it's a group. But also I want you to notice, because you, you're told where these people come from. These are Gentiles. Again, he's taken an offering eventually back to Jerusalem to the Jewish Christians because they're poor. It's charity. We're all about charity. But he's also trying to knit the Jewish Christian world and the Gentile Christian world together. These are all Gentile believers. These are all, again, notice where they come from. These are all fruit of the Spirit's ministry through Paul. So that's why he's naming these people for you. He's not just saying, I'm taking a bunch of people with me. These are Gentile people that were, that were brought to Christ during Paul's ministry there in that Macedonia area. So um, it's not just a boring list of names, by the way. So they went on ahead. They meet at Troas. Um, but we, look at verse 6. Watch this. But we. See the word we? <clears throat> Who just rejoined Paul? Luke. Again, it's really important to know how to read closely. Paul just was rejoined by Luke. You know, I mentioned there, there are we passages in the book of Acts, and then there's they passages in the book of Acts. When you see those we passages, that means Luke's with him. So don't miss that. That probably helps us understand, too, where was, where was Luke staying? He probably was staying in Macedonia, probably staying in Philippi. So now uh, this entourage is with Paul, and um, that's why all of a sudden it says we. We sailed from Philippi. We sailed from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. You got Passover in the Jewish faith, and then the week after Passover, is the festival of unleavened bread. So don't miss that either. Um, I believe they were there and they stayed put long enough to celebrate uh, that Jewish festival. They did not stop. The Jews that joined the Christian movement didn't stop being Jewish all of a sudden. So, um, on, so they, they were there. They stayed for their seven days to get all the way through the... Um, Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now, here comes a very interesting passage. You might have, because I don't think I've ever heard a sermon on this. Here's the story of Paul's very, very long-winded sermon, where it was so long-winded, a person fell asleep and fell out of the window and got killed. Thank you for long-winded sermons. 
Um, that's what it is on the surface. But it also tells us something about early Christian worship. Um, so this is, this is a very interesting text. They're at Troas. That's a city on the coast of Asia Minor. So they're at Troas. Look at verse 7. <clears> on <throat> oh, the first day of the week. What is our worship day now? The first day of the week. Not the seventh day. Not the Jewish Sabbath. So when those folks knock on your door and say it was the Roman Catholics 400 years after the Bible that made us stop worshiping on Saturday and start worshiping on Sunday, tell them you've read the Bible. It's clear here in 1 Corinthians 16 and in the opening chapters of Revelation, it's clear the early Christian community quickly shifted to making the first day of the week, Sunday, our, our worship day. Now, if you were Jewish, Jewish Christian, you probably kept the Jewish Sabbath too. The Jewish Sabbath, seventh day of the week. That's why Jews sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. But we Christians really, real quickly, moved our worship day to the first day of the week. Why did we do that? Yeah, Easter, Resurrection Day. is In the book of Revelation, it's called the Lord's Day. So yeah, we, we changed our worship day. So, um, you know, when they knock on your door and tell you that the Catholics made us do that 400 years later, tell them you know better. Anyway, on the first day of the week. Now let me show you this. These are Jews, or it was Jews that started the Christian movement. When does the new day begin in the Jewish world? Does it begin at midnight like the Romans made us do? No, when does the new day begin? Sundown. How many of you went to Christmas Eve services? You went to Christmas Eve services because that was the beginning of Christmas Day. So the seventh day of the week, the seventh day of the week ends at sundown on Saturday. Ask any G. The first day of the week begins after sundown on Saturday. That's why, again, Christmas Eve worship. Here, we start Easter worship the night before on Saturday evening because we, our, our ancestors in the Bible, they kept time the way Jews kept time. So on the first day of the week, it's going to become obvious, this is at night. On the first day of the week, when we, again, Luke just showed up, when we were gathered together to do what? Not to just hear a sermon. Not to just hear a sermon. It's very clear in the New Testament, every time they gathered, they shared the meal. Now, if you were here for a love feast, I talked a little bit about the history of the love feast because it goes back to the New Testament. And uh, then it was resurrected by Moravians and Methodists. But the love feast is the remembrance that before we shared the Lord's Supper in the New Testament, we shared a common meal. We shared a common meal to show our love to each other. And then that probably climaxed with what we came to call the Lord's Supper, uh, communion, the Eucharist. So throughout the New Testament, communion or Eucharist, Lord's Supper, was part of the common meal. 
So that's why they just called it the breaking of the bread. So, and it didn't happen in just one hour. You're going to see that in a minute. It, so they, they gathered to break the bread. There's going to be several hours elapse before they actually break bread. But that's the purpose for gathering. Christian worship should. We sort of lost it in the modern era. Some churches have lost it in the modern era. Uh, we, we should gather for communion weekly. Now, a lot of Protestants lost that over the last hundred years. And I'm a nice guy, so I don't make you do communion every Sunday. But at least here at Wesley, we do it every Wednesday. So when I appear for my maker one day, I'll say, yeah, I got him to do communion every week. It's not Sunday. But because that's the biblical model. Um, so look at it, what's happening. They gather to break bread. <clears throat> Paul talked with them, intending to depart when? On the next day. We're not looking at a one-hour service here. It's evening. It's what we would call Saturday evening. They're going to break bread eventually. Um, and on the next day after they broke the bread, he, he, he will leave. And he prolonged his speech, his sermon. Actually, the word there in Greek, to make you feel a little better, it, it's, a, it's the word in Greek that becomes in English the root of the word dialogue. So he didn't just do a monologue for all these hours. He probably did some monologuing, but he did some dialoguing with these people. But he prolonged his speech dialogue until midnight. Now again, when does the new day start in Judaism? When you can see three stars, you can declare it to be sundown. So, it, you know, Saturday, 6 p.m. or so. So they've been there for a while. Um, he's, he's dialoguing, speaking, preaching, teaching. There were many lamps in the upper room where we, again, Luke's there, were gathered. So you're in the upper room. Here's the third story. You're in the upper room. They've got all these either oil lamps or candles uh, burning. So it's probably getting a little warm in that upper room. Again, in the early church, we met in homes. Church buildings did not, did not become prominent for 300 years. Some were built after about 200 years, but they did become prominent after 300 years. So we met in homes. Here they're in a home. Paul is um, droning on for a really long time. It's nice and warm. And there's fumes from the oil and from the candles. Um, look what happens. Verse 9. And a young man named Eutychus, a young man. The word young man there literally means a preteen. I'm impressed a preteen is there listening. But this is a preteen. He probably wants some fresh air. He's, he's literally sitting on the window ledge listening to Paul. He's sitting at the window. Literally, he's on the window ledge. Some translations make that clear to you. And he sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. Um, <clears throat> I'm glad I'm not the first person, uh, first preacher to have somebody fall asleep on them. This guy fell asleep on Paul. But Paul's been talking because it's about midnight. And yeah, he's, Paul's still talking. So, um, and being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. Um, 
There are two places in the book of Acts where one of the apostles raises the dead. Remember Peter and Tabitha, or Dorcas, and here's Paul. Paul's got to do it too. Here's Paul with this Eutychus. Uh, uh, um, now there's some debate, not much. Um, you're, sometimes your translation answers the debate for you. There's some debate as to whether or not um, this young guy was dead or just knocked down and appeared to be dead. Um, because the text, as we'll see as we read on, is a little ambiguous there. Um, most of us are firm now. This guy's dead. Because again, you want Paul to do the same thing you saw Peter do. To make sure you know the apostles had this power, not just Peter. Um, and, and the Greek really implies it pretty firmly. And who's the author of Acts? Luke. Whose daytime profession was what? He knows if someone's dead or not. He uses the word necros, like necropathy, ne 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 necromancy, and things like that. It's the word for dead. Um, <clears throat> but you'll see where it's a little ambiguous. It says he was taken up dead. We believe, I believe, most translations believe he is dead, not just knocked out. But Paul went down stairs, probably real fast, bent over him and taking him in his arms said, do not be alarmed for his life, literally his soul is in him. He's not just saying don't be alarmed, he's not dead. He's saying don't be alarmed, he was dead, but he's, no, he's not dead any longer. Just like with Tabitha or Dorcas. Uh, this is a resurrection or actually resuscitation from the dead by, by one of the apostles. Do not be alarmed for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up, and now they finally get around to breaking bread. And now when they had gone up and broken bread eaten, he conversed with them a long while until when? And you think your worship services are long. This went from, from evening to daybreak. Uh, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak and so departed. And they took the youth away alive. Because that's really, the, you get some hints here about early Christian worship, but that's the point here. The, the, the signs and wonders, the power of the Holy Spirit at work in the Christian community. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. That's the Bible way of saying they were greatly comforted. They were greatly encouraged. They went away with great joy. I mean, this was some worship service. Um, <clears throat> there is a church in this county. It's technically my home church. Um, at, outside the historic sanctuary, there's a marker in memory of someone who died. And basically he died when I was just doing the benediction. When he died, he fell out. He actually was resuscitated for a few hours, but he died. Um, I wished I could have brought him back. Uh, the EMTs did for a little while, uh, but um, Mr. Henderson's died, and the church was kind enough they got a little monument because he just about died. Well, for, I guess for all intents and purposes, he died during the benediction. Because I'll never forget when he fell out. I was walking up the aisle. And this is a little sinful. He fell out. I'm walking up the hall. First thing I do is look at my watch, praying that it's not too far past 12 o'clock. 
because I don't want to do a Paul thing here and preach so long that someone checks out literally. Um, that was sort of Eutychus event for me. But Mr. Henderson, who, who came out better than the rest of us, he actually did go on to glory uh, within about three or four hours. But here you have a miracle. You have a miracle. You see the power of the early church. It is like, I hope you're getting from the book of Acts, it was like there was a Holy Spirit force field around the Christian community. We're not just a social organization that sings religious music. You know, we need to make sure we have an appropriate understanding of who Jesus is and who the church is. We're the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, the physical presence of Christ, Christ continuing to live, continuing to heal through his people. You can't take Christ without taking his people. Yeah, I'm finished. What happened to him? Actually, I did. And I actually meant today, because I do find it fascinating. If you go Google Eutychus, I'll, 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 I can't bet because I'm Methodist, but um, if I could bet, I would say, I bet if you go to Wikipedia, because Wikipedia will tell you the Bible part and then tell you tradition. I bet at some point there's some tradition in the Christian community that he became Bishop of Troas. So y'all make that your homework. Because no, we have no we have no further information in the Bible, but I bet in church legend and tradition there is something because we tended to remember these people. That's right. It's an amazing thing. I have, that's why I promise you the Christian community in Troas did not forget it. That's why I about guarantee you there's probably a legend or tradition that says he went on to become Bishop of Troas. Because that community would not forget that. Um, I, what, 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 I'll about guarantee you that. Another interesting question is what they thought of that. What is that, 12 hours? What they thought of that 12 hour worship service with the interlude of a resuscitation. Um, I don't think they called, I don't think they saw that as unusual. You know, where you see um, a remnant of this is like Easter sunrise service. We do do an Easter vigil here, a small one, on Easter, on Easter Eve, uh, on Saturday night. But this was probably, that's why they don't focus on it here. They, he, Luke focuses on the resuscitation. This was probably a standard Christian gathering in the first century. Um, yeah, I mean, again, what you see in the book of Acts, the point of the signs and wonders, the point of miracles, is not just for the church or Jesus to show off. The point of the miracles, it's very clear, is to help people accept the reality of the gospel. They confirm the gospel. Um, that's why y'all are sitting here today. If it hadn't been the confirmation of the Holy Spirit and these types of activity, I don't know if the Christian faith would, have, would, would be the largest religion in the world today. And it is. Um, it is. 
Well, I'm going to let you out of your misery. I feel fine, but my voice is not what I want it to be. So I'm going to let you out of your misery. Um, thanks for coming back. You guys have Mervay. As, as you probably know, I went to Rwanda for a quick trip. You can't make quick trips to Rwanda, but I tried. Um, <clears throat> two days getting there and three days while I was there. Two days getting there, two days coming back, three days while I was there. But um, we, you, um, donated, I'm, I'm counting 200 pounds of clothing because we took three full suitcases at 50 pounds. And that took two 50-pound suitcases. Oh, so I'm wrong. 250 pounds worth of clothing. Uh, we took over there to Pastor Hervé, thanks to a lot, particularly this room, thanks to a lot of your generosity. And it was amazing to go and be there. Um, I've never traveled with that much luggage before. That was interesting. But and I was glad to give it to Pastor Hervé when I got to Kigali. <clears throat> Hi, I'm Meredith Gann, as most of you know. I just wanted to share with you, next Wednesday, hopefully I'll have a letter printed out from Pastor Hervé with just some pictures. He sent me some wonderful pictures of updates from his church, and just, he, they've been so blessed by our generosity in different ways, and so he's going to write up about all of that and share some pictures. But today I have a letter from my daughter Sarah, who is in Rwanda doing a Fulbright scholarship this year, and if any of you are interested in what's been going on with her and praying for her, um, she just sent a letter at Christmas time, and she would love to share it with whoever would like one. And if I run out, um, I'll bring more copies next week. But you can come up and grab one if you're interested in her her update. And I did want to share one thing um, in relation to what Pastor Jeff was just saying about the long prayer services. Well, Rwanda has a tendency to have long services and. One interesting thing Pastor Avery told me was that on New Year's Eve every year, the church has a tradition of going to church in the evening and praying through the whole night into the new day. And it's called the crossover. And they do that every New Year's. And it was interesting because I texted him. I said, my daughter Sarah is flying back from Europe into Kigali and she's arriving at 7 a.m. on January 1st. Would there be a way you could go get her from the airport? Um, because of course, you know, being a mom, I wanted her to be safe and have someone reliable pick her up. And um, especially on New Year's morning, you know, I thought probably a lot of drunk people still out and everything. But anyway, so so he said, sure, I can pick her up at seven because I'll just be coming home from church. So um, that worked out really well. But um, thanks for letting me share about um, everything Pastor Aries doing and also my daughter Sarah. And again, if you'd like a letter, I have a bunch of copies, but if I run out, I'll bring some more. And next week, I'll have pictures and things to share from Pastor Avery's ministry. And I'll, I'll confess, um, I was there New Year's Eve. So, of course, that was Sunday. You know, I'm still a little jet lagged, and it's been a long trip, and it's a real long trip. Um, and I'm jet lagged, and um, Tammy and I went to worship that morning in the church. We, it was one of those quick two and a half hour services. And of course, they all told me about they were coming back for the long service to see them over into the new year. I just couldn't do it, I confess. I had to make my way to my bed and I slept under a mosquito net. Never done that before, but I had to sleep. So, um, yeah, it was a very, very interesting um, experience 
Again, notice Paul's interest in international ministry. It's obvious. He wanted to go to the whole known world of his day, which that's why Spain was the other end of it. You know, I hear some Christians that, that love to say charity begins at home. And that's okay, that's fine, that's great. As long as it doesn't end there. I know some churches, charity begins at home and that's where it ends. And um, that's not a biblical model. That's absolutely not a biblical model. Look at what Paul's doing. He's going international. He's traveling what we would call through Turkey and Greece. Wants to go to Rome to collect money to take back to Jerusalem. Um, it was probably easier for him to carry that offering to Jerusalem than it was for me and Nat to carry 250 pounds of clothing uh, to Rwanda. But I hope that you have a passion for the world receiving the gospel and uh, for, for, for showing love to your, there as much your brothers and sisters in Rwanda, uh, wherever else, as the ones in our point. That's the Christian model of being the church, which again, that's why I think the book of Acts um, is so needed to be studied in this culture. We're so individualistic in the American culture. We forget this corporate aspect. Nick, can I call on you to close us in prayer? He's a retired preacher, so I get to do that. Um, I get to do that. And I'll save my voice a little bit for um, a long Wednesday. Come up here, though. <clears throat> Unless your voice is a whole lot better than mine. Yes, yeah, you, that went before. Yeah, I didn't travel with your cash. Um, when I got off the airplane, I don't understand the laws everywhere. When I got off the airplane, I was asked by security, are you bringing more than $10,000 in? I can, I, I can help but laugh. <laughs> I don't know what even all that meant. Um, <clears throat> all right, let us pray. Oh, Lord God, we just come to you right now, thankful for the time that we've had here.